This episode of Nocturne is brought to you with the support of Kind, makers of delicious, healthy snacks using whole ingredients you can recognize and pronounce. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night super hungry? For me, it's no use trying to go back to sleep. I'll just dream about lasagna. That's why it can be handy to keep a dark chocolate nuts and sea salt Kind bar right next to the bed. You can open it really quietly so as not to wake a bedmate. I timed it, and it takes about three minutes to enjoy a whole tasty bar and go back to sleep sated. Also great for a mid-morning snack or after-work commute. I usually carry a Kind bar with me because they're yummy and portable and help keep me from crashing and getting all grouchy and unpleasant. Try a free 10-snack sample box by going to kindsnacks.com nocturne. All you have to pay is shipping. You'll also get to try Kind's Snack Club, where you'll receive monthly snacks at a discount and get members-only bonuses. Again, that's kindsnacks.com slash nocturne. to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Don't go away. Like, don't leave me alone. I was just looking at the helicopter and just like, don't fly away, please. Get me out of the sea, please, because I can't face something else going bad. I've tried to get help and no one's seen me. I've been shouting in the dark all night and nothing's heard me. Just don't go away. My name is Matthew Bryce. Well, I'm 24 now, but I was 23 when I was lifted out of the sea on the 1st of May. Matthew has long enjoyed surfing off a remote beach in Scotland, often by himself. Usually he goes out for three or four hours and then goes about his life. This time was different. I started surfing at half eleven the day before, so that was the 30th of April. I left my parents' caravan in Inverary and drove down about six o'clock, got down to Westport Beach in Kintyre, and I went out to the sea about half eleven, yeah. That's the, it's kind of Atlantic Ocean and Irish Ocean. It's kind of a crossover between those two. I do go down surfing there quite a lot by myself. Um, I'd probably say about 75% of the time I've been surfing alone. It's a really deserted part of Scotland. It's really hard to get to. So I was the only surfer that day that I know of. On the beach itself, you're talking maybe four people. It's really abandoned. It's lovely, it's why I go up. It's like a really, really beautiful spot. Um, but it's also very empty. It was a lovely day. Waves were nice. That's the reason I went up that day was because the wind was, you know, not too strong. It was, you know, still acceptable. It wasn't dangerous weather conditions at all. It was a strong offshore wind, so the wind was going from the coast to the sea. But that was given like lovely kind of classic wave shape. It, it was really nice and it was just the start of kind of going into summer. 
So it's, it's kind of a little bit of a chill, but it's kind of warm. The sun was out. Really nice day. I was pretty psyched. I was pretty happy to go out. It'd, it'd been the first time I'd been surfing in a few months, so I was really quite excited to go. I was feeling good. Yeah, happy to be there. I arrived at the beach and then I had to re-wax my board entirely because it hadn't been waxed since November. So I spent a good 30, 40 minutes doing that. I did a stretching for about 20 minutes before going out as well. Once that was done, it was then get the wetsuit on and then get the board and go out. The plan was to surf from about 11, 12 to maybe three or four and then to head back to the caravan to go and have dinner. So the plan was to do about probably three hours surfing that day, which kind of, you know, <laughs> didn't really pan out. When I went out to go surf, normally, if you look at the weather reports from that location, normally the wind is always going eastwards. Um, that day was westward, that's why I was there because that was the wind from the coast to the sea, which gives nice, nice waves. That happens, you know, three, four times a year. So it's really rare. So anytime that happens, you're up and you're going surfing. Like, no questions. It was actually quite easy to paddle it because the wind was pushing me out. So I got behind the wave section and sat there for a couple of minutes, just, you know, catching my breath. And in that time, I'd moved about 30 to 40 feet away from the wave section, away from the coast. So pretty much immediately I knew something was up. I went to go paddle back in and I then thought I was in a rip current. So normal conventional wisdom for that is to paddle sideways to get out of the rip. So I then paddled south, but it wasn't a rip. I was trapped in, it was the wind that was pushing me. So I was still getting carried out. And so there wasn't really anything I could do to get back in because it wasn't any current that was taking me out. At that point, it was just the wind. If you picture an ocean beach, you have a section of water where waves are created by hitting land. And then out beyond the waves, the water can be relatively flat. Matthew was out beyond the waves. So I was trying to get back into where I could hit a wave um, because then it was just going to take me back in. Those four people on the beach, I was shouting for life for them to try and see me, but the wind was just carrying my voice away. The land on the coast goes down southwards and then it kind of juts out towards the open ocean. So my plan was to go south and to hit the jut of land and then have a very long walk. So I then paddled south for talking about eight, nine, ten miles get down and the current was taking me that direction so I was going that way anyway but the wind was still pushing me out towards open ocean so my plan was to try and hit that piece of land before I went any further out. I got quite close, I got within a mile, a mile and a half of that jut of land but then because the tide changes the current that was taking me south changed and went north and that carried me past where I'd actually went surfing. It went past that point, further north, and my plan again was to hit a jaw of land. But I was too tired to even paddle at that point, so I was maybe four miles from the jaw of land I was trying to hit this time. And then the current changed again and went south. And that's when the night fell. 
For the whole paddle south, Matthew mostly kept his cool. I had a little bit of a freak out when I initially realized I had to go south to hit that piece of land. But once I had a plan to hit that piece of land, I was like, okay, I'm going to paddle down there. There's a town at that area called Makrahanish. Once I had a plan to hit that piece of land, the plan was, okay, I'll get onto the coast, we'll find a house and we'll get some soup and we'll laugh about it. And I was paddling for about five hours. Um, not all the time, like I was stopping to rest because like I couldn't paddle for five hours constantly. So I wasn't freaking out once I had that plan, but once I realised I wasn't moving south anymore, because it's quite hard to tell if you're moving because you've not really got a reliable point of reference, it just depends on your angle. Once I realised I wasn't moving, um, started to get a little bit jittery, and then I was actually getting pushed north by the current and I could see the coastline receding. That's when I knew I was in like really, really bad trouble. So I did start to panic at that point, like quite a lot. Even then, Matthew eventually regained his composure and focused on making a plan. He had an idea about how often the current was changing. I guess that it was changing every six hours. So I thought if I could beat that, then I could maybe get on land. And if I could get on land, the wetsuit would keep me warm overnight. Um, so that was my plan. It wasn't a great plan, but it was all I had. At the north point, I did have a point of reference because on the hills there were wind turbines and I could see when the front wind turbine passed one behind it. I could tell if I was moving forwards and backwards and I, I saw myself go forwards and then it stopped and then it started going backwards again. You know, six hours down the road, I'm exhausted. Um, and then it changes again. And at that point, when I started going south for the second time, it was dusky. It wasn't bright, it wasn't daytime anymore. I wouldn't consider it daytime, it was late evening. And you're thinking, oh, I'm gonna spend the night out in the ocean. That's not a good feeling. And the only thing I could hear were the waves. I couldn't hear anything else. Um, Around as the night fell, you started to see the town more. Um, that was just to the left. There was also, there was a couple of lighthouses, one in Ireland, one on one of the isles, and then one on the peak of Kintyre, which was in Scotland. So there was like three lighthouses. So I could see all that. And then you could just see the outline of the hills against the sea. And then also like Belfast, you could see the outline of that. So I could see land in every single direction, but I couldn't reach any of it. And it just went slowly darker and darker. It was kind of golden. And then it went just kind of purple and then just pitch black. And it was, it was a really, really, really pitch black because the sea below me was just like nothing. Like, it was just dark, like no feature. There was a slight difference between the land, the sky and the sea, but they were all just varying levels of blackness. And then through the night, 
the actual streetlights of Matahanish, they get turned off. So then that's just another level of darkness because then eventually it's just that. Like, you can see some lighthouses, but they're faint. You might think that Matthew took some comfort from seeing the lights out in the distance. No. Because I couldn't reach them. Because um, you're talking like seven miles from these lights. And like I'm just a person in the sea. I'm struggling to see buildings at this point. There's no way anyone's ever going to see me. So I'm sitting alone in this space. The only thing keeping Matthew alive was his board. I was able to stay on the board, but the sea was rough. When you're near the coast, the waves are going towards the coast, like, you know, normal waves are. Um, but once you go out far enough, the westward wind was kind of whipping up the water and was actually creating waves going out to the ocean. So that was, that was pushing me as well, so it was rough water. Um, the problem is my board wasn't like surfboards you can get like large surfboards and like smaller surfboards like a big foamy would be one for a beginner um they're like nine foot long and they can easily hold your body weight out of the water mine's wasn't one of those mine's was um like a 40 liter uh shortboard so 40 liters means it can hold about 40 kilos above the water and i weigh 80 kilos so it was only holding about half my body out of the water below my kind of mid-torso was submerged. This was in May, but we're not talking about the Caribbean. It was the Irish Sea. I mean, the water is about seven degrees, eight degrees Celsius, six degrees above freezing. So it's very chill. I bought my wetsuit for winter surfing. So it was, I mean, it's a very good wetsuit. It was serving me well because I wasn't too cold the first day. In the night, it got very cold. I was hoping that a search was starting. My parents knew I was going surfing, so I thought they would message me, and then when I wasn't answering back, I was hoping they were going to call for a search. So I was hoping to see someone searching before night fell. It's, it's a weird feeling, um, because I wasn't in an awful condition at that point. I mean, I was cold and I was thirsty. Hunger wasn't really an issue at that point. I wasn't worried about that. It was more thirst and cold and tired. But I was hoping that a search would start before the night fell um, because I didn't really have a plan. It became, it became more of a plan of actually trying to just survive at that point um, because I wasn't going to hit land because the closest bit of land was now Ireland in the direction I was going. The only thing I could do was actually try and keep myself warm. I was trying to do everything just to preserve heat. So my plan at that point was every couple of minutes, I would get down and I would paddle for 30 seconds and I would count out 30 seconds. And then I would, I would sit back up and I would wait a couple of minutes. I'd get down and I would paddle for 30 seconds and I would count out 30 seconds and I would sit back up and I would get back down and I would paddle for 30 seconds and I would count out 30 seconds and that lasted for a good five hours doing that. When I first started doing that, I was doing every couple of minutes and doing it for 30 seconds, but then it was every five minutes, then it was every 10 minutes. So 
at that point it was when I was starting to shiver. I would get down and I would paddle. I was very close to just passing out and drowning. 24 hours of like just pure exercise and trying to keep your body warm. It's just pure exhaustion. So I was wanting to pass out. Well, not wanting to, but I was passing out. I have no idea how often I passed out. Um, it was a lot. I was propping my head up on the board and like putting my hands uh, under my chin. So when I would pass out, I would have enough time to you know, not grab myself and stay on the board, but I would have enough time to keep my head out of the water because I would fall in, but because I'd had that extra, you know, half second, I was able to keep my head out of the water. What became imperative was not getting separated from the surfboard. If that happened, it was all over. There's a leash that attaches on my right ankle that attaches to the back of the board. So that's about a seven foot long, you know, plastic cable. It's good that I had that because there was a couple of times I was out of reach of the board and I had to use that to grab it. The cold was just awful. There wasn't a bit of warmth within my arms or my legs. And it was just awful, awful, awful feeling of being that cold. Like, I wasn't even shivering at that point. I was beyond shivering to try and generate heat because I was just too cold. And then it was just blackness. I couldn't actually see properly because I was, I was quite dehydrated. So I couldn't actually see the sky. There was no moon to light that night. There were some flies that were like glowing blue around my board. So there was a point in the night where I was just kind of washing the water on the board, trying to make them move. So they were just dancing about in the water. To be fair, that could have been completely imagination, but they were kind of just like little blue lights in the water, just around the board. That was a good distraction, actually. <laughs> the distraction was short-lived. The initial anxiety of being swept out into the open ocean gradually turned to resigned hopelessness. It was just despair because, I mean, I'll be honest, there wasn't really much hope at all when night fell. There were some fishing boats out to sea. I was shouting for help because I was hoping that the wind, which was carrying my voice away from the beach, would carry my voice towards the boats. But no, they didn't hear me at all. I mean, the closest thing I've seen to help were those boats and them moving away. Like, it's not even despair that sits in, it's like inevitability of what's gonna happen. Um, it wasn't even sadness, it was just, you know, that, you know, you're gonna die. I was convinced I was gonna die. So then you start thinking about how you're leaving things with everyone. And sometimes that's not a good thing. Like you're sometimes thinking about how, even just with your parents, like the last thing you said to them was good night instead of I love you. Something as simple as that, but that digs at your brain. And then throughout the whole process, there'd been two parts in my head. And one part was saying, you know, you can do this, don't give up, you can survive. But then there's one niggling part that's saying, you know, you're not going to survive, give up. You're, you're going to die. And as time went on, the dominant part, which was saying you can do this, you know, started shrinking. And then the, the small part that was saying you're going to die was growing. And in the middle of the night, that was the dominant part. 
In the darkest, coldest hour, the part of Matthew's brain that was saying, give up, won. During the middle of the night, it got, I've no idea what time it was, but it was cold. And it, was, it wasn't like, you know, a cold day where you've walked through, you know, the street and you've, you've got a chill. It was just pervasive. This kind of, like it's sapping life out of you. And it's just constant, it doesn't stop. It's just seeped into your entire body. And you're tired as well. Absolutely exhausted and like, there's very little willpower there at all. And then you're in this darkness. So then in my head, I was just saying goodbye to like my family and my friends and kind of trying to make peace with it all, just saying, you know, you did the best you could. Give up. And then, like, I pushed the board away and I started drowning. Um, but the leash tugged on my ankle and at that point when it started drowning, I, I went and grabbed it and brought it back on the board. And then I was just chastising myself for being stupid because I was exhausted. So then I just started paddling and counting out 30 seconds and then sitting up and then getting back down and paddling for 30 seconds, trying not to think about it. It kind of kicked me back in because I think I was just so ready to just fall asleep and if I'd fell asleep, I would have fell off the board and then I would have drowned. So it was just, it, it did wake me up in a sense, but it was just, I was lucid when that was happening. It wasn't as if it was, I was in this kind of tired state where I was just like, I don't know, just give up. It was a lucid choice to, you know, do that. Even now, that's a hard thing for Matthew to think about. You just end up chastising yourself. Because, I mean, evidently I could go longer. So the fact that I gave up at that point, you kind of chastise yourself for that because you didn't give it your 100%. After that point, it, it was just numb. And so I was just focusing on trying to keep myself warm. It wasn't because I had a hope of being rescued. It was just not even anger. It was just, I'm going to try and hold out for as long as possible. Like, it's not a question of if I'm going to die or if I'm not going to die. I know I'm going to die, but I'm going to make sure it's when I pass out and fall off, or if I, you know, die of hypothermia or my heart fails or something like that. It's not going to be a conscious decision by myself anymore. It's going to be when I'm physically unable to continue. Um, but the feeling that it's going to happen, because there was numbness that was coming along with it, it's I'm going to die. That's, that's just a fact. While Matthew drifted in the dark ocean, the dehydration and cold started affecting his mind in other ways. Where he had previously hoped to be seen and rescued by fishing boats, now he wasn't even sure that he had seen one. And it didn't seem like such a good thing anymore anyway. 
I had this weird like kind of thought in my head thinking they're not supposed to be there so if they see you there you'll get in trouble for that like and I've got my board my board will keep me safe so if I stay with the board because they could take the board away from me so I'm staying I'm, st I'm keeping my board and so there was points where I was thinking no I need to keep quiet I won't shout for help because like I'm, I'm just thinking the worst like because I've already had a horrible experience I'm thinking that's just going to be worse it was really crazy thinking. At that point, I couldn't trust anything I was thinking because just because my head was kind of twisted at that point, I just I couldn't think straight at all. Against all odds, Matthew persevered through the night, and the dim hope of being rescued reemerged, if only briefly. I didn't expect to last through the night at all. Um, I was supposed to be working the Monday morning uh, that day. So then I started thinking, well, if the search hasn't started yet because my parents don't know I've went home or not, my work is obviously going to start asking questions. So I was then thinking, well, maybe a search will start now. It also started getting warmer because the sun was starting to hit off my black wetsuit and that was just giving me extra heat, especially on the head. So you start to think a little bit clearer. A little bit of hope came in the sense that a search will start, but it was unlikely they're going to find me because I've already been out for a day and the search area is going to be massive. The morning of the second day, I, I saw a police helicopter searching and it was searching northwards in square kind of sections. Like it, was, it would do a square, then go up, do another square. If they'd done two more squares north, they would have flew over me. And this was at like maybe 11 or 12 o'clock. And then at that point I knew a search was happening. The helicopter left to either refuel or to search another area. The fact that a helicopter had came so close to my actual position, it was good because then I knew someone was actually looking. Okay, so maybe I am within the search area. Maybe they will be searching for me. So maybe someone will find me. So then you get a little bit of hope from that. So then you, t you cling on to that to try and well, I tried to stay in the position where I was, where I saw the helicopter, to see if they would come back, but they didn't come back. I didn't see another helicopter for the entire day. The fact the helicopter didn't come back to that area, I can't, I don't know if I was imagining it or if I um, was actually hearing it, but I could hear helicopters, like, very faintly. Um, I had the neoprene hood over my ear, so, I pulled it back to see if I could hear if there was a helicopter at all. And I could hear just the faintest kind of chopping of a helicopter. Like so faint you wouldn't even think it was actually there. And then I was looking up to try and see if I could see a helicopter. And then I saw a little blur in the sky. It was just a bloody grey speck because like my vision wasn't great at that point. So I started waving to see if it would answer and then it kind of resolved into a seagull. And then the, the noise went away. So I was like thinking, was I just imagining it? And then you're kind of questioning, well, did that other helicopter happen? Or was that, did I imagine that as well? Because I'm not sure how long I've been conscious. I don't know if I have been conscious or if that's been a dream. Is the search actually happening? And then you start to question it because you're just alone. Like, I don't know if that was a dream or if that was, I'm sure I saw a helicopter and that's just turned into a seagull. 
and then the hope you got from the helicopter before then just turns out into despair because you're thinking well if that was a helicopter they they were within you know seeing me and they've just flew away and they've not seen me and I've got a bright yellow surfboard and they've not seen me so I'm thinking like my chances of actually being seen are really really slim I think I'd settled at that point to just try and hit land, like Ireland, um, because I wasn't going any other direction. I knew the wind was going to last for at least another three days. So at that point was to just either hit land or hit the shipping lane that was between Ireland and Scotland, or to hit the area where the fishing boats were. I was hoping that maybe I'd end up in that rough area and that, you know, I could then get help. It was like a long shot. I'd have probably been hit by a boat. Like, <laughs> like um, uh, the idea was mm, maybe someone would see me and then, you know, rescue me because um, I didn't really have another plan. I was just waiting for the sun to set. Having survived a whole night and a day with just him and his surfboard, Matthew turned his attention to the sky. When it got to the second night, um, I was trying to tell how much time I actually had. So I was looking at the sun because if you put your fingers out at an arm's length, how many fingers are between the bottom of the sun and the horizon? That's how many hours you have, roughly. It was getting to sunset. It was beautiful. <laughs> Just yellow, yellow and gold, the light dancing off the waves. It was not entirely dusky, but it was like pretty dusk. It was just about to get to that point where the, you know, all the colours change and goes dark. I was looking at the sunset and I was thinking, you know, I'm definitely going to die this time. I was thinking if it's going to get to night time this time, I'm not making it through the second night. I can't do that. That's I'm too cold. I'm already like my hands are cramped. They're barely functioning. Um, my legs at this point as well were just cramped and in like a kind of pointing because I've been kicking um, so they were cramped in that kind of pointing position um, and my back was starting to cramp as well so I was slowly paralysing um, so I was, I was really just propping my head up and hoping that I didn't get knocked off because it was getting to the point if I fell off the board I'm not getting back up on the board I hadn't drank water in over a day I was freezing cold my brain that was saying, just give up. You're just sitting thinking, to be honest. Again, I was just going through this whole evaluation of my life. No, I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy with it because the things that I really wanted in life, I'd never actually worked towards. Like, I'm wandering aimlessly. And also, it's just because I was, I, like, my thinking at that time was just not straight. Like, I was just thinking, oh, I've been just a terrible person. I was thinking that I was leaving things with my family and friends in a horrible way. In my head, I'd said goodbye to all my family and friends. Goodbye, mum, dad, I'm like, I love you all. I was making peace with them in my head. I mean, just sitting thinking, watching the sunset. And, yeah, it's horrible. But, and then also, like, it's quite contemplative. I mean, it's not the worst death. Doing something I love, I mean, you sometimes have people that have very, very painful and horrible deaths and, you know, you can't help but feel sorry for them. Um, for me, I mean, 
my body was, you know, cold, but it was numb. Um, I'd had time to think about everything, knowing that I was going to die. And not everyone gets that. A lot of people, you know, it's just, and that's them dead. And they don't get time to, you know, think about how they've spent their life or how they've left it with other people. And, like, that's very sad, I think. So in a sense, I was kind of satisfied with the way it was happening. In my head, I was thinking, you know, deal with it, you're going to die anyway, at some point. Yes, it's early, but it's, it's not the worst way to die, so don't be too sad. I started hearing that kind of chop in my head. And at this point, I'm not trusting any of my senses. And at this point, I'm thinking, all right, this is my brain giving out. Um, so I'm hearing this chopping, and the chopping's still happening. So I look up towards the sun. But it's just this kind of surreal moment where you're thinking, oh no, this is, this is me actually dying at this point. But then you look up, and no, that's an actual helicopter. And it's just like disbelief. Because I'm, I'm, I'm... Like when you have a fact of life that you've been sitting with in your head for a good, you know, 16 hours, you know, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. That's the truth. There's no question about it. But then a helicopter comes and it flies and it's flying straight towards me. Um, so I kind of slipped off the back of the board and tried to hold the board up. Big yellow surfboard and I just wiggled it because I couldn't lift my arms or anything so I just, just waving towards them and they flew right over um, and they flew over for an uncomfortable time. It's like a good 5, 10, 15 seconds and I'm like, oh, hmm. That's not good. Uh, that's despair. So I was thinking, oh, they've missed me, they've missed me. Well, seeing as the position I'm in, that's to be expected now. That's just what's going to happen because, like, they are a really high distance up. So looking down at the sea, I'm going to be nothing but a speck. So they flew over me and they've missed me. And then they just make this slightest turn, not even a full turn around, just a slight turn and stop. And you're like, oh. And then they circled around um, and they came around past the sun to where they'd actually flew over me again. I could see them in the helicopter looking down. And I'm just trying to make as much motion as possible. And I was just looking at the helicopter and just like, don't fly away, please. <laughs> Because then I'm still thinking they're just going to fly away or crash. Like it's going to end up with like four people instead of just one in the sea. Something's going to go wrong because all this bad stuff's happened. And I'm just like, get me out of the sea, please. Because I can't face something else going bad. Like, don't go away. Like, don't leave me alone.
and then the guy at the door of the helicopter he moved back and he started to put on his dry suit and then they started to put a rope down and I was just like like they, they put the rope down and I'm thinking this isn't happening at all because still in my head it's just that part of my brain that's just going you're going to die you're going to die so they, they came down um, the, the winchman came down on the, the rope uh, and they flew towards me and I'm getting buffeted by the wind from the helicopter coming towards me it was just blowing against my face and buffeting the board and the, the water as well against me so you started to get that splash from the mist And he comes, he grabs me by the shoulder, grabs me and pulls me out. He's like, well done, mate. That's what he said, he just said, well done. They put me in the winch and, and they unstrapped my board. And I was actually a little bit kicky about that because I didn't want to get rid of the board. Because um, that's what I'd been holding on to for the whole time. So I was really reluctant to get rid of it. And he was just, he unstrapped it and just pushed it away. He says, it's all right, mate, you know, it's fine, you're safe. And they pulled me back up onto the helicopter and got me into the helicopter and I collapsed on the floor. All the emotions just came out at once, like I was bawling like a child because that fact of life that's saying, you're gonna die, you're gonna die, you're gonna die. When it's gonna change to, you're gonna live, you've survived. That, that change isn't easy to, to process. I was fully expecting to just watch the sunset and then pass out and drown. The fact that I'm not gonna die is just something that's so incomprehensible and unbelievable at that point. I'm like, dumbstruck, like just mind blown. Like I, I was just crying my eyes out, but he just said, well done. You've survived. When the Coast Guard finally found Matthew, 16 miles off the coast of Scotland and 13 miles from Ireland, he had been in the water for 32 hours. It was the first time they had ever found anyone alive after that length of time in the sea. If you're going to be doing surfing or like outdoor sports, it's important to take the correct precautions. This whole thing happened because I didn't take them all. In my opinion, you should go surfing with other people. It can be fun on your own, but if you are going surfing, make sure people know where you're going and when you expect to be home. For example, if you go out in the morning and say to a friend or a family member, I want to be out of the water by one. If you've not messaged them, make sure they know that's a problem and that they should contact the authorities because a lot of the time with these kind of accidents, people are hesitant to call the authorities. And for them, they'd much rather go out for a false alarm than go out 10 hours later and find someone dead. Also, it might be worth considering taking a personal location beacon 
you can activate them and the Coast Guard can track you pretty much as straight as an arrow to your position. If it had been my case I'd had one of them, I would have been found within, say, two hours, as opposed to two days. Two days and very lucky to find me. They cost about £200, I don't know what that would be in dollars. You need to ask how much your life is worth. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. Thank you to Matthew Bryce for sharing his incredible story. You can find a link to the amazing video of his rescue at nocturnepodcast.org in the notes for this episode. Support for Nocturne comes from Kind, makers of healthy and delicious snacks. Try 10 Kind bars for free, just pay shipping. Go to kindsnacks.com slash nocturne for full details. Again, that's kindsnacks.com slash nocturne. Do you have a secret nighttime identity or have knowledge of a world that exists only at night? We're always looking for interesting stories, so let us know at hello at nocturnepodcast.org. Nocturne is proud to be a member of The Herd, an amazing group of smart and beautiful storytelling podcasts. Find out more at theherdradio.com. That's H-E-A-R-D. Lastly, I want to let you know about a brand new podcast from award-winning radio producer Claire Schoen. It's called Stepping Up, and each episode is a beautifully produced story about people who are responding to the crisis of climate change in surprising ways. This podcast couldn't be more timely. Here's a clip. Seventy percent of the oxygen that you just took in came from the ocean, which helps us fuel our very selves. I like breathing. I bet you do too. It's what keeps us alive. We need to keep our heart beating and to do that we need oxygen. So what do you say? Should we save our oceans? I say yes. Yes indeed. Listen to Stepping Up on iTunes or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Find out more at steppinguppodcast.org. Thanks for listening.